Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Um, let's go ahead and worship together.
everyone. Greetings and welcome from the back row at Lighthouse Community Church. I'm so glad to check in with you guys and say hello. And I just I wanted to let you guys know we're thinking about you and there's a lot going on here at Lighthouse Community Church. And maybe you haven't known that. I hope you've been joining us Wednesday for the online prayer group. That's been really fun with Pastor Eric leading that. I also hope that you realize we've been sending out emails and phone calls. If you need to call or text or email, check in, please do. And don't forget Sunday, I'm online with the live chat. So it's kind of like the meet and greet back when the church was open. You can actually meet and greet with everybody Sunday morning when we're online. Whatever you're doing, wherever you're doing it at, I want you guys to know that we miss you. But we're excited about what God's doing in the midst of this whole situation. Why? Because there's a Bible verse that says it all perfectly clear. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in this, all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. So look, Romans 8, 28. Everybody uses that verse for everything, right? All things work together. But I tell you what I've been able to, to find out while I've been hanging out in the back row by myself. You, you remember the CDs in the back of the church and how exciting that was at the end of a sermon to take home a CD or something and pass it out to your neighbor? You remember when that was the best thing there was in sliced bread? Man, when the church went online with audio, we found out something new that God could use this small church to have even greater reach. I remember the first time we put our messages online and all of a sudden we had 50, 60, 70 people listening to a sermon after the message was done. Well, guess what, everyone? Right now, God is using this very moment, this very time, this very situation to let us live stream. He's given us the right people, the right place, and the right space to do it. And as far as I know, the first sermon that went out online, 350 people were able to watch it. And as exciting as that is, the Easter service that just came out last week has almost 700 views. 700, that's right, this this little light of ours, this little lighthouse church of ours, God is using this amazingly to glorify and grow his kingdom of God. I want you to be encouraged, but I also want you to know the people behind the scene that are making it happen. Let's go check in with them. Remember when I told you there's a lot of stuff going on behind the veil, church? This is just part and parcel of what's happening. And because of all these different things that are happening, there's some very specific people that are helping us get it done. Let's go check in with two of them really quick. Hey, church. How's it going? Ben here with uh, Greg Wangler. We just put in a new hardwood floor for our tech area. Um, As you can see, our tech table is missing. We're going to be putting in a new one to create space for uh, hopefully bringing on some new volunteers. So if you're interested, please let Pastor Jeff or Eric or email anybody at the church and just ask how you can get involved. Because we need help with lights. We need help with running sound. um, And really, we can try and get you plugged in anywhere that you would like to be. Yeah. Greg, why don't you tell them really quick what you've been helping us out with here at the church? We've been fixing a lot of electrical issues that have been here for a long time and cleaning a lot of things up and making it easier for future times when they want to replace wiring for new sound equipment or lighting equipment. And it's going to be a lot easier in the future and a lot safer. Yeah, I understand you guys found some loose wires, right? Yeah. Yeah. Come on, God. Some electrical uh, issues that we were able to fix. And uh, yeah, it's just... God's been watching over Lighthouse. Yeah, absolutely. So because of them, guys, the light's not only going to be on, but it's going to be bigger, stronger, and faster. God bless you guys. We'll see you online. Church, can you believe all the time and energy these guys have put in to make this happen? What a blessing, right? 
You remember back in March of 2018 when Pastor Eric said we need to slow down? We couldn't do that. But God has supernaturally created this gap, this space, this very time for us to do what? Slow down and be with family, right? It might be hard to do because we haven't done it for so long. We've been so busy. But the reality is God has created this time in this space. And that's how all things work together. So the next time these doors are open and you have a green light to come to church, you don't have to go to church. You get to come to church. So church, don't forget about us. We're not forgetting about you. And we look forward to seeing you online. Now let's join Pastor Eric with a message of encouragement for today. God bless you guys. Good morning, Lighthouse community. So glad that you're here with me this morning. And I'm not here alone. I'm actually joined by a friend of mine, Bill Dogterham. Bill is a professor of pastoral leadership and spiritual formation over at Vanguard University. And he's also a mentor of mine. Now, I never actually got to take a class with you when I did my grad studies over at Vanguard. But in the last decade and a half, as I have been uh, kind of journeying in my pastoral leadership you have been somebody who has mm. been an incredible uh, support and mentor to me along the way. Oftentimes we'll j- get together over at Dick Churches for breakfast and I'll just kind of process things with Bill. And so I've asked him to join me this morning because when I woke up on Monday morning, kind of in the shadow of Easter, Easter behind us, um, I, I began to be aware of stuff percolating there at about 5 a.m. in the morning as I just laid in the stillness of the, of the, the morning there were two things that came up. One was there was this whole kind of pocket of emotions that was churning beneath the surface that I know had been there for a while, uh, but I just hadn't had the time or the space to even recognize it or to sit with it. And the second thing that I began to recognize is that um, even though I woke up fully prepared to, to write a message that day for our series in Acts, to jump back into Acts, I really felt this overwhelming sense that this is not the time to jump back into Acts, Mm. that we need to just kind of hit the pause button on that because we need to sit with the stuff that's coming up. I know it's coming up for me. It's probably coming up for others. And so that's what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're hitting the pause button. We're not leaving Acts altogether. We'll come back to it, God willing. Uh, But for now, we just want to pause. We want to take some time to become aware of what's there um, and allow God to kind of walk us through it. Mm-hmm. And so I've asked Bill to be here because he was the, you were the first person I thought of a, as this dawned on me. And so I actually wrote the text message to you at 6 a.m. in the morning. Like, will you do it? And I didn't hit send until 730. That was as long as I could wait. For an activator like me, I, I think that's a little bit of growth. Um, but Bill very quickly came back and said, yes, he'd be happy to, to join me. And so Bill, I'm so grateful you're here. I'm so grateful that you're going to help me and my church family process mm. through all the stuff that's coming up. And I want to, I want to begin this morning by sharing uh, with you and with, with us uh, a a Facebook post that I ran across early that morning uh, from somebody in our church, because I feel like it really beautifully articulates what a lot of us are feeling. So let me read this. And then I'm going to ask you to to give me your thoughts. And by the way, before I read this, just know that I have permission from this person to share it. So I'm not just grabbing it and using it. Um, (laughs) So here is her post. I woke up this morning sad and overwhelmed. So many emotions are welling up inside of me, all jumbled together. Tears won't stop falling from the corner of my eyes. Thoughts are racing. The reality that the return to school will be postponed indefinitely looms. The fact that this is the new normal for God knows how long. 
the fact that Easter is over and yes, he's risen, but now we need to move on in this broken world. The fact that I'm being called to make a huge impact in a very small radius is already exhausting. Oh, well, I feel as if my life is made up of so many different times of just shrugging my shoulders and saying, oh, well, got to drink some coffee, pull on my big girl pants, which are sweats right now, and slap on a smile. Week five, here we go. So, Bill, I, I feel like she speaks for a lot of us in those words. What would you say to her and to us? Well, it, good for you that you got out of bed in the morning and uh, <laughs> did what was necessary because that's really what we're called to. And uh, I think it was serendipitous that your uh, invitation to do this came on Monday, mm-hmm. the day after Resurrection Sunday, where theoretically and in reality, everything changed. And here we are on Monday, and it looks very much like Did on Friday. it always has, yeah. right? Because um, that's how life, life works. So for her, I would say sometimes the best you can do is the best you can do. Mm. You get up, you do what you need to do as well as you can do it. Uh, you don't shame yourself because it's hard. Uh, you don't, um, if I can, should on yourself because of the way things ought to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you live in the in the what is, and that in my view, is what it means to walk by faith. Uh, For those of us who are followers or disciples of Jesus, this idea of standing in the reality of his resurrection doesn't change at the same time the reality in which we have to stand. So we're in these two kind of spaces at the same time. We're in the space of the kingdom of God that has come and is coming, but we also live in the reality of time and space and pandemics and kids and work and Zoom meetings that seem to go on forever that are more exhausting than real meetings are and on and Seriously. on the list goes. So it's, that's the, the nature of the game. Yeah. Almost like we live in this good world that God created yep. and this good world that he's recreating. And yet we still live in a world that is uh, sin scarred and, and corrupted. Yeah by the brokenness all around us. Yeah. And that's hard. It is very hard. So are we allowed to feel sadness in this time or, or as many of us, I probably think probably feel, is it disrespectful to God to feel sad? Oh my. Um, Well, first of all, not only are we, is it okay? He has given us a gift called grief Mm. that enables us to, live in times like this, because the truth is uh, we are going to be experiencing an enormous amount of loss in our lives throughout them from, from childhood on through adulthood and beyond. Grief is the way that we identify and process the losses of things that are important, valuable, and good to us. So God gave us as one of the three kind of primary protector emotions uh, grief as a way to to honor what is honored, to celebrate the gift of relationships and jobs and uh, uh, homes and experiences, and then having experienced those to let them go so that we can sit empty-handed for the new that is coming. 
um, and grief is how we sit with and process those losses. So the more profound the loss is of a loved one, of a of a of a, 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 a an experience, of a of a moment, determines how deep and how long the cycle of grief is likely to last. The problem with the season we're in right now is that the hits keep coming, right? That there is grief upon grief, loss upon loss, moment upon moment. It's not just that we are experiencing the disruption of what we had grown familiar to and what we had known. It is that every day seems to bring one more cycle of loss and then we hear the news of a loved one who has contracted the virus or or maybe has some other disease some other ailment some other but isn't getting the kind of care they need because they're afraid and on and on those kinds of things go so so grief in this season Mm -hmm. is i would argue a necessary and rolling way of honoring god who is with us in this. It would almost be easier to grieve this time if there was already resolution. It, it, we are yes. past it. It's painful yes. enough. Yes. Can we just stop? Yes. Well, and, and, and notice how quickly we want, even over the course of this last week, how quickly we want it to be over. Yeah. We want it to go back to normal without the realization that normal is going to be redefined permanently. Yeah. Right. And I don't think we're ready to accept that that normal is going to be redefined. I don't think we are either. But this is why I'm hopeful a season like this will prepare us to live not so closed handed as we had been living. Right. Where our happiness depends on us getting what we want. And here is a season in which happy is in short supply Mm -hmm. and we need joy. Which is not circumstantial to enable us for this for this season. Um, it is, for example, what enabled Jesus to endure the cross. Okay. Uh, it was enabled, what enabled him to be a man of sorrows, but not overcome by sorrow. Joy is that kind of dynamic at the center that reframes how we, how we, receive and experience and know the stuff that's happening at this level. Is that what the writer of Hebrews meant when he says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame? Yes. The fact that, I think that that feels so contradictory that joy and grief could coexist in the same moment. It's the only way, though, that grief gets redeemed to hope. Right, because joy is that permanent kind of fuel cell of the soul that works in concert with love, which is the other kind of primary emotion that then takes those experiences of grief, of loss, of catastrophic disappointment Mm -hmm. and says, nothing's over yet. As long as God is God and has capacity to raise the dead, and he is and he does, then let's not cling too tightly to even our losses because he is at work in all of this for good. And joy is what enables us then in the middle of a, of a, of a, of a bleak, disappointing Saturday between the horror of a crucifixion 
Friday and the celebration of Sunday, joy is what gives us capacity for all three moments. I think we're all okay with the day and a half in between Friday and Sunday. The fact that we're already a month plus into it's this horrible. is exhausting. It's horrible. So I know that the, the Jewish culture is way more comfortable yeah. with grief and sitting with sorrow and, and all of this stuff than we are. Why is that? Why are... I, I, let's, let's focus on the Jewish culture before we focus on ourselves. Why was the Jewish culture so comfortable sitting in their grief? Well, I'm not an expert in, in the, the, that, that worldview, but I think a primary difference is that our Western worldview tends to divide the universe and the world into two entities, right? Good and bad. Okay. Um, and the Jewish worldview as reflected at least in the old testament doesn't do that it's it it, it's neither good nor bad it just is Mm -hmm. so when life happens they don't waste a lot of time except beyond clear and obvious trying to attach blame or find responsibility Mm -hmm. or move too quickly to solve yeah they're able to let life unfold at about 60 beats a minute, which is fairly quick when you think about it, but made more so challenging when, when we're wrestling at any given moment to assign meaning and value and worth and significance. This is good. That's not good. This is, and this is is the reason it's happening. I I see this in myself constantly from the moment this started, God, what are you doing in me right now? How are you using this in me? How are you using in this, in in our church constantly, this almost uh, compulsive need to find the silver lining and to ascribe, this is the reason it's happening. This is, I mean, this is Job's friends after they kind of go through that week of grieving. They start going, what's the reason it's happening? We need to find the reason yes. to blame so we can fix it. Yeah. And the truth is, there is no fix. And as soon as we attach a handle to a fix, we discover, wait, that's ripped out of our hands by reality. Okay. So the view of the Old Testament is, for the most part, Guys, this is life. Sit in it. Yeah. And and when it's over, release it because joy comes in the morning. Mm-hmm. But joy also comes in the morning mm-hmm. as you sit with the alternate spellings, right? Yeah. This awareness of loss is, is what enables us now to say, okay, yes, maybe there are some reasons. Yes, maybe there are some purposes. Yes, maybe there are some 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 things out there to which we can move, but it's way too soon in the moment to know what any of those are. And as soon as we start to attach meaning to those things too quickly, then we get disoriented because life keeps on rolling, uh, rolling along. So there's this word uh, found throughout scripture that is almost a bad word to our Western culture and it's lament. Yeah. Um, I'm a pastor. I've been teaching God's word for like 15 years, something like that. I have seldom done a message on lament. And as I've been sitting, especially in this last week, uh, sitting in the Psalms, the thing that's kind of shocked me is how prolific lament is throughout scripture. Right. Um, The Psalms, some 70% of the Psalms actually have a portion of lament. And lament is simply a crying out 
uh, from the depths of right. pain, a, a voicing what's going on inside, not sugarcoating it, not pretending right. like it's not there, just saying, ow, this hurts, help. I'm kind of overwhelmed by how much yeah. lament there is in Scripture, not just in the Psalms, but I mean, there's a whole book called Lamentations that is just a solid lament. Um, and, and even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's what we looked at on Good Friday was Jesus's lament to God. God, I don't want to do this. Right. An honest cry from the pit of, of his despair in that mm-hmm. moment, from the mm-hmm. weight of what is facing him on the cross, and yet a willingness to move towards it anyway. Right. So what I'd love to do, because I know right now Jeff and others are going, okay, let's get to Scripture. we got to ground this in Scripture. So let's get to Scripture. Can we look at a couple sure. of examples of lament? Sure. My favorite, and it's strange to call it a favorite when we're talking about lament, but my favorite psalm of lament is Psalm 13. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. Uh, would you read this? Sure. Forceville? How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will this enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord, my God, give light to my eyes. Or I'll sleep in death and my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fail. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Help me understand what we have there. Yeah. Yeah. It's just this, it's really, um, Emotionally stirring. It's moving because it grabs a hold of my heart and says, this is your life right now. This is what's happening. And you'll notice how in the, in the early part of this psalm, four times, it's how long, how long, how long, how long. Does that sound like anybody's Seriously. Instagram feed? Mm-hmm. That sounds like where we live. And, it, and it's, here's this ancient poem of existence that says, this is my story. This is my life. And even though in this particular case, the the enemy that David is referring to is in all likelihood a person, Mm -hmm. we can easily lift and depersonalize this, right? This isn't about a person. This is about what's happening. This feels like it's just an overwhelming enemy for which I have limited resource. I have limited capacity. I feel overwhelmed by, and God, you promised to be with me. You promised to help me. Where are are you? Help me out here. So back to your earlier question, is it disrespectful to have this attitude? Well, not when the Holy Spirit's inspired a poem that gives voice to exactly that. God wants us, C.S. Lewis's language here is really comforting. Bring what's in you, not what ought to be in you. So if there's sadness, if there's anger, which is here, because we feel weak, Mm -hmm. 
in sadness and often it'll slide over into anger that makes us feel strong for a moment. Uh, and here the psalmist gives voice to this. And you'll notice here he says, um, look on me, answer me. Because if I die, my enemies are going to say, you, 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 we've triumphed, we've overcome. And, and I think we need to recognize that sometimes uh, we're in the middle of this without solution, without discernible hope on the horizon but you'll notice what he does here is call out on the covenant nature of God and says, in, I trust in your unfailing love. Please notice, nothing has changed in his circumstances. He's still in the middle of the mess. He's still muddled about what in the world is going on. He still is going toe-to-toe with this virus, with this heartache, this financial crisis, this relational, whatever it is. I mean, it's just the sadness that is over. He's still there. And it, and in the middle of this, he just, he squares himself. He puts on his big boy pants mm-hmm. and says, I'm going right to trust, now. huh? Which are sweats. It, 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 which are sweats <laughs> in this season. Don't stand oh. up during the zoom call. Seriously. <laughs> I, I, I trust in your unfailing love. So your character is not at stake here because okay. that's the temptation totally. right to think that my wheels coming off my life prove that god's not god right. that he's not who he is right. that's only a god that we have created in our image okay. it's not the god in whose image we have been created right so i'm going to trust in your unfailing love my heart rejoices present tense in your salvation in the I, midst of right in ugh. the i haven't seen it yet I haven't experienced it yet. Nothing fundamentally has changed in what I'm going through. So I'm going to rejoice, however, in your salvation. And I'm going to sing the Lord's praise because he's been good to me. There's this awareness that God's goodness is not dependent on my circumstances. God's goodness is not my experience always. Like when Paul says, God's at work in all things for good. We just need to know, I'm not always going to experience what God's doing as good for me in the moment. He is at work in all things for good, and that might mean I carry pain for and with Jesus for a while. Because lament is part of, again, back to Philippians now. Paul says, we carry the sufferings of Christ. He's looking for people who can carry pain in a pain racked world, but carry it in a way that still gives testimony to the goodness of God, that still gives testimony to the faithfulness of God. I think sometimes, Eric, it takes more faith to suffer well than it does to be healed, to die well Mm -hmm. than it does to be raised. Yeah, some of the most powerful testimonies to me in our community in the last several years have been those of you who have walked through some really painful things and yet your your focus on God has not been shaken. Yes, it's hard and you don't pretend it's not hard, but you can, you can sit in the, in the kind of the pain of it because your eyes aren't fixed on your circumstances. They're fixed on the one who stands above your circumstances, who at the same time has 
entered into your circumstances right. with you and gives you hope that the brokenness of this world does not get the last word. Well, that's, that's the point of Easter, right? Yeah. That's, that's the nature of incarnation. Here you have, have the Son of God who laid aside everything that marked him as such mm-hmm. and took on, <laughs> he took on the life of an ordinary blue-collar worker mm-hmm. who, who, who dropped his hammer on his toe, who, who had life happened to him in real time, who was hungry, who was tired. Do you think he ever got a, like a flu? A I don't know. I would not be surprised at all. Stomach ache? I would not be surprised at yeah. all because that's the nature of incarnation. Yeah. And experience the worst that humanity can do to humanity because mm-hmm. that execution, as you know, was brutal yeah. um, and entered into it not always willingly, but freely choosing. Yes. So here we are in our pandemic. Mm-hmm. Let's not waste it. Let's, let's flex the muscles of adult following of Jesus, learning from him mm-hmm. how to live our lives. It's one of the things that I keep reminding myself is that Jesus didn't die so that we wouldn't have to. He died so that we would know how to. He's modeled for us a way of living. And why? Well, again, the writer of Hebrews tells us, because underneath there is this fuel cell of joy that says, even if he slays me, I'm going to trust him. Even if even if it doesn't ever work out in a way that I can understand, he, he's still God, and I'm going to continue to stay close to him. Mm-hmm. And then what you discover on the other end of that bleak, black, horrible Saturday is a resurrection, because death, as it turns out, mm-hmm. is not the end of life. It's the beginning of life. Beginning of the new life. It, it, it really is. You know, one of the reasons why... Uh, I struggle so much with allowing myself to lament, Mm. to just sit in the messiness of my feelings. And I think that others do as well is because it feels like those deep feelings are in some way a declaration of my lack of trust Mm. in the one, Mm -hmm. you know, almost kind of like I'm saying, God, you're not strong enough to protect me from this. Right. Um, And what I see in this is it's just the opposite. Yes. Um, because I trust God so yes. much, I will bring out of the storehouse of whatever's in there, whatever's in there. And I, I think of my son, probably not watching at this point. He's probably gotten bored and wandered off to go do something else. Um, but I think of the way that my son, when he goes to school, uh, will oftentimes go along with his friends, even though they want to do something different than he wants to. He won't speak up because at the end of the day, he wants them to embrace him, accept him, like him and all that kind of stuff. So he'll go along to get along. Mm -hmm. Whereas when he comes home, that boy is constantly saying, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. No, I don't like this. This is gross. And it is really kind of a declaration, Mm -hmm. not of his disrespect so much as it's a declaration of perfect love drives out fear. He knows he's secure in our home. Therefore, he speaks honestly, unvarnishedly. My wife and I are ugliest are at our ugliest when we're just raw and real with one another because at the end of the day, I know that she's with me and I'm with her. 
And in the same way, when we have our ugliness and we just let it out before God, unresolved, just ugh, it's a declaration of our trust that he's big enough to handle our emotion. And it's okay. Yeah. And if I might, I think it's necessary. It's the nature of intimacy. It's the nature of of growth. We we pray, you know, more, Lord. We pray, I want to know you more. Yeah. And God says, fine, let, let's go for a walk through right. the valley of the shadow. You'll find things about me in that place. There are treasures in that darkness that are unable, unavailable to you anywhere else. And you become a different person through the carving out of your artificial insecurities through suffering that reveals how fragile you really are without me. Mm. Right? So it's this, and, and this is what lament does. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. It leans in with anger, with frustration, with fear, with all of the things, all of the things. You mean anger is included in this? I can Ang- feel Well, anger. you saw it show up sure, here in totally. this one. It, it, anger is included in this. Yeah. We don't want to get stuck there, yeah. nor do we want to get stuck with the grief. But sometimes the grief, because it's this rolling gray cloud of losses, mm-hmm. we, we well, oh, this is going to hurt and it's going to hurt for a long time. And I think you and I both know that the... The, the kind of the earthquake of the virus is going to be followed by a tsunami of lingering challenges and difficulties economically, relationally, things that we had once thought were fundamental to our well-being are not coming back. So now what? Well, now we get a chance to be the people of God in a world that doesn't work the way we want it to work anymore but in which God is present and is enabling his witness to go forward and is with us in the middle of the bleakest of our circumstances. And it is that then that gives us this awareness. We're not alone. Mm -hmm. We can't do a thing to fix this. We are stuck in our reality. Well, Where better to be? Because where you are is the only place that God will ever meet you. There's no future in God. There's no past in God. There's just now. So why not be there even if it hurts to be there? And if that then elicits anger, sadness, fear, bring it on. Because he's present with you. He knows what that feels like. It's from him that you learn those emotions those feelings in the first place. Yeah. The the analogy that came to me this week as I was sitting with, gosh, what is lament and why have Mm -hmm. I avoided it so much? Mm -hmm. Um, The analogy that came to mind was that of a teapot, particularly the whistle on the teapot that when the, the pressure begins to build and it gets to the point where it can no longer be contained, that whistle begins to cry out, pay attention, I need help. But also, if that whistle wasn't there, uh, it would very quickly become very, very dangerous because the pressure would build to the point yep. where the teapot would explode and not only harm the teapot, but everybody else around it. Mm. And in a lot of ways, lament becomes a way for us just to cry out, help, I need you. And I just got to let it out because if I don't let it out, I'm going to explode and mm-hmm. everybody yep. 
everybody will suffer because of that. Yeah. Hey, is there another uh, psalm of lament? That well, you'd like the other to one that I, I think about and one of my go-tos is Psalm 130. Psalm, that's helpful. So let's just multiply Psalm 13 by there 10. You go. There you go. Psalm 130. <clears throat> yep. yep. And, it's, and it invites us. Uh, I, I, for me, it's, it's, a, it's a, a slight step uh, in, uh, deeper. Okay. Uh, into the depths of this. He says, out of the depths, I cry to you. Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. So that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait, then, for the Lord. My whole being waits. In his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than a watchman waits for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. With him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. The the reason I love this one so much is that it gets to the heart of this season where I want to find out why this is happening. I want to know what did I do Mm -hmm. so that I can stop doing it so what's happened because of what I did goes away. Right. Right. Go back to how it was before. Whatever that looks like. Right. And, and the psalmist is saying, first of all, I'm in, I'm in the midst of the mess here. The word depths here is this idea of being in the ocean without a lifeboat. It's just this, I, everywhere I turn, everything's in chaos and, and tumult. So that's the image. And out of this, he sits with this cry for mercy. That's the only hope that he has. I don't have any other resources. Be attentive. If you're not, if you're not listening, I don't have anywhere to go. And then he sits with this deep and profound awareness. We've brought this on ourselves. Whether it's a particular thing that has produced this particular consequence, or whether it's the universal human condition that flows seamlessly from Genesis 3 where we thought we knew a better way. We're, 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 we're in this because we chose to be in this. God is not causing this. He's not creating chaos. This is what happens when we get out of alignment with how he designed the universe. This is a universal reality that we're in the middle of, right? And he's saying, Lord, if, man, if you keep track of this stuff, who, who, can, who can stand? We're stuck. We're completely screwed by our lives. But you don't keep a record. There's grace for you. There's forgiveness with you. And it's not, if I, for, if, I, if I repent, then all of this will go away. He's just sitting in the universal human condition. We've gotten sideways here. The wheels have completely come off. We have no resource on our own. But with you... There's forgiveness. So we, 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 we serve you with reverence, with awe. 
We are overwhelmed at your greatness, your majesty, your glory, your goodness. So, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for the Lord. I'm going to swear my shoulders and sit in the depths of my despair, and I'm going to wait. And this word wait here is not just wait around. It's an intentionality. It's like when I was waiting for the birth of my children. Mm-hmm. It's the waiting, and he uses a powerful image here, more than a watchman waits for the morning. If you can imagine, any of you have been in, in, on watch in the military, you know that that three to six, three in the morning to six in the morning watch is the most difficult and desperate one. It's when the enemy's likely to attack in that hour before sunrise. It's when, when having, having watched all night, we tend to drift off knowing that morning is coming and we need to read let our guard down let our guard down is that's literally where that comes from and we are now invited no 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 the dawn is coming i need to re-engage my attention i'm going more and you'll notice he repeats it twice more than the watchman waits for more then the watchman waits for the morning. And in Hebrew, when they don't have italics or, exactly. or bolding, this is how this, they this accentuate, is, this is, pay attention to this. This is all caps. Okay. Right? Yeah. More than the watchman waits for the morning. And then he calls out, people of the Lord, mm-hmm. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. Why? Same thing, Psalm 13. His character is our foundation. His character is the way we want to be. Yeah. He's unfailing. He, the, with the Lord is unfailing love. With him is full redemption. He will redeem. It's really interesting to me. Uh, in both of these Psalms of Lament we've looked at, it's almost like we're pouring out our emotions, but we're pouring them into a bowl of our theology, of our, our, our knowing Understood. who God is. God, I know who you are. I have seen your faithfulness. I've seen your goodness. And so I will pour out all that's within me because I yep. know that you can, this can contain it and you can handle it. Yes, that's it exactly. And, and please notice what happens in lament, especially in the Old Testament, and would happen if we were better at it here. It's not that God grows up. It's that we do Mm -hmm. our perception, our understanding. You know, this as a dad. I know it as a dad. We've all experienced this. We need a certain amount of resistance, a certain amount of pain, a certain amount of consequential outcome for us to move from childhood to adulthood. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't like it, but looking back, I mean, I think it would be fair to say that we have experienced more growth, more capacity through the things of pain and difficulty than through the things of pleasure. And nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But but the truth is, if you want to take the high mountain passes, you're probably going to go through some painful things on the way there. One of the most uh, powerful verses I find myself going back to again and again is found in Hebrews uh, in that same chapter, Hebrews chapter 12, 12 where he yeah. says, no discipline is comfortable. Nope. It's painful. Nope. And he actually tells us to, to view all of the hardship as discipline. And he said, the Lord is training you up. And no discipline is, is comfortable. It's painful, but it will produce a harvest of righteousness and peace 
for those who are trained by it. Right. And I feel, feel like that's a really important caveat there yep. because we can walk through something like this, a dark valley, and we can all we, if all we're focused on is, oh, woe is me, God, how could you let this happen? Our perception will cause us to be completely blinded to what God yes. wants to do on us. Yes. And all we'll get out of it is the reminder that the world is against us and God wasn't there for us. Yeah. But if we are willing to sit in the discomfort and wait, like yeah. a watchman waits for the morning, then God can use it to begin to develop righteousness, a right heart that is in alignment with him and a peace that transcends our circumstances right. in a way that no comfort ever could. Right. And that's the difference between whining yeah. and waiting. Yeah. Between whining and lament. Lament acknowledges the full reality and decides that it's going to sit in it, not as a victim, mm -hmm. but as a participant in what God is doing in this season, which is not to undermine it in any way, shape, or form. But to sit with it, with an awareness that whatever it is that we're in, God's with us in it. This is so good. I've got two more questions, and they're big ones, but I, I definitely want to get to them. The first one is if this is so central to the Jewish mindset, if this is so central to the scriptures upon which we have tried to really base our lives. Yeah. Why on earth are we so terrible at allowing ourselves to lament in the West? Why don't we let us, why do I as a pastor um, avoid this and try to jump to the silver lining, try to jump to, oh, this is what God is doing so we can kind of circumvent the pain? Yeah. Well, I, I, I think it's, if I can just be blunt, I think it's our Genesis 3 illusion that we always know better. Uh, I think on top of that, though, particularly, uh, is that we have too small a God. We're terrified that the God we worship, even on Sunday mornings, is not going to be big enough for life as it happens. So we've got to find meaning and, and on and on and on and on. And we divide the world into good and bad. We divide people into good and bad. We're so f focused on blame that we spend most of our, our energy finding someone to blame for everything. Somebody's got to pay for this, whoever it is. Rather than saying, well, no, Psalm 130, we got here all by ourselves. No, nobody fell. We jumped. Here we are. And where we are is hard. And where we are is very hard. And, and rather than hunt around, let's get good at being here because there's stuff being worked out here that is not available if we find some victim onto whom to pin our blame. So I think, I think part of the reason, is, and, and we, we, just, we just don't like it. Jesus didn't like it. He, as you alluded to earlier, he was as uncomfortable in these seasons. However, he had been trained by the Psalms. He had a prayer to pray in the garden and on the cross that invited him into a full awareness of God's presence and God's working something in this darkness that is not available at any other time or place. So I think that that's going to be the strategy for us. And hopefully, at, at the very least, this season will say to us, we need to get good at this. Mm -hmm. We need to get good at lament. We need to get good at grief. Because life is transitional. We're going to experience way more losses mm -hmm. 
over the course of lifetime, especially because we're eternal beings that have a future in God's great kingdom. You're going to have to get rid of a lot of stuff to move into the future that God has got for you. So you better get good. This is the problem with the rich young ruler, right? His hands are too full of his stuff to receive the kingdom. So empty your hands. Now you got an emptiness that has capacity. So, so rather than holding on to the things he has given us, hold them loosely. Yes. Allow him to remove them. And right now it's almost like he's shaking our hands to knock those things that we found yes. our identity yes. and our value yes. and our purpose in out of our hands. And now that we're finding that they're empty, which hurts, which is hard. I don't like it. And so I'm grieving it. My bank account's not nearly as full as it, I like it to be. My, my, my time is not nearly as full. I don't have all of the things I can run to right. to fill up every waking moment so I don't have to sit with the ugh. Now that my hands are empty, Trusting and waiting for God to place into our hands what he wants to give us. And then avoid the temptation to start to grab that new. Because yeah. it's going to. So, last question, which is pretty much the same as the first question. What would you encourage us as we have been sitting in this conversation, as we are beginning to kind of wake up to this idea that it's okay to sit in our grief, it's okay to sit in our emotions, what sort of encouragement would you give to us as we maybe, uh, you know, approach this a little more intentionally and yeah. a little bit more openly this week? Um, well, I'm not smart enough to answer that question, so I'm going to go to Paul, uh, who says this, rejoice. And that's not be happy. That's not a Bobby McFerrin illusion. You know, don't worry, be happy for old people. Um, that's a an invitation to ruthlessly contend for joy. Mm -hmm. And for Paul, rejoicing is a very deliberate spiritual discipline. So he gives us advice in chapter 4 of Philippians. Think on things that are true, honorable, pure, lovely, of good report, beautiful. Think, change the focus of your mind and your attitude. Rejoicing connects us with a deep and profound reality that if we worship a God who can raise the dead, and we do, and he does, we're going to be okay. We're going to be all right. And then the thing that joy does, not happy, happy is circumstantial. Joy is anchored in eternal realities of the goodness of God. It's that if it's that it's that capacity the fish have that swim out here off the to swim down to deep levels because the pressure inside balances out the pressure outside they are not crushed to conforming they are and they're not puffed up either. they are not they are transformed and have capacity to swim under enormous pressure that's what joy is so so my strategy is to go back to the Easter story, to go back to the things that are true and honorable and lovely and pure and of good report, to tell the story of Jesus again, right? To sit in the wonder of his Psalm 13, Psalm 130, loving kindness and tender mercy, his forgiveness, his awesomeness. He is enough for this and entrusts me now, trusts me to be enough for this too. Yeah. 
And I would just encourage you, if you find that you don't have the words to put in, you know, to articulate whatever's going on inside, maybe turn to yeah. the Psalms. Yeah. Turn to Psalms like 13, Psalm 6, Psalm 42, 43, Psalm 130. There's so many others of them. Just read the Psalms and, and almost use those ancient prayers as a trellis for you to hang your prayer on. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the thing that we didn't talk about, but I think is really important, and I'm going to invite the, uh, you know, Cheyenne to come back up, is that these weren't just David's cry or, right. or right. another psalmist's cries. Right. These were written and compiled yes. for others to be for able to, to use. And yes. so for David, Psalm 13, it was written for the director of music to use as a song. Psalm 130 is one of the Psalms of Ascent that they would sing as they were walking up to Jerusalem during these feast days. And I think it's really important for us to say, it's okay. In the same way that we're about to sing songs of worship that we didn't pen ourselves, but they still resonate with something in us. Allow yourself to use some of the ancient songs to guide you in your own prayer and in your own lament. Would you pray for us? Yeah, happy to. Oh, Lord, uh, we, uh, we find ourselves often, uh, sometimes aware and other times not aware, but often uh, at places in our lives where we're just not enough for what's going on. Thank you that you bring us deliberately and intentionally many times to those places so that our trust would be in you, not in our capacity. And I pray, Lord, for my friends who are watching, who are listening, that you would presence yourself with them in power and strength, that they would find in you the joy that enables them to redeem even this grief and to have hope that is the byproduct of joy when it crashes into grief. Give us capacity then for this day and through for the normal, ordinary, one foot in front of the other, get out of bed in the morning and do what needs to be done. That's what joy enables too. So help us in all of this, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together. Strike down to bind me up. You say you do it all in 
For a 
Amen. I'm so grateful uh, to Bill uh, for helping us begin to get comfortable with this idea that we have emotions as a guy, more, more emotions than anger and apathy, and that's okay. It's not weakness uh, to have them. It's not disrespectful to God to voice them. In fact, it is a declaration of trust to pull out of the storehouse whatever happens to be there rather than you know, trying to clean ourselves up and polish these things up and say, I'm only going to give you the good stuff as if he doesn't already know what's there. And he quoted C.S. Lewis. I'll, I'll quote another theologian, a guy named John Coe, who, who taught me, when you pray, prayer is not a time to be good. It's a time to be honest. It's a time to just pull out of whatever's there. So may you give yourself permission to lament this week, to feel this week. Maybe, you, maybe what you're feeling is not sorrow. Maybe you're feeling a, 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 even a sense of gratitude that you finally get to slow down because you've been running as hard as you have. Don't feel like you have to put this on or pretend to even feel deeply just because we're talking about it. And we began this whole conversation with this idea that Easter is over. The tomb is empty and yet we find ourselves in the midst of a broken, fallen world and that is true. We still live in a really hard place, in a really hard time. This isn't fun. I grieve the fact that I can't hug you. I'm missing getting to hug you today. I hope to you, God, that when this is all over, that shaking hands and hugging family will not have changed. But in the midst of it, the one thing that is different today than it was on Good Friday before Jesus went to the cross is this. We have a high priest who is alive. So our hope is alive. And he sits on the throne in heaven, interceding on our behalf. And so the writer of Hebrews says this, and I'll close with this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, that's Jesus, the son of God, in case we didn't know who he was talking about. Let us hold firmly, unswervingly to the faith that we profess. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way, who experienced grief just like we do, deep, bone-wrenching grief. And yet he wasn't overcome by it. He didn't sin in the midst of it. But because we have a high priest who can empathize with our weakness, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Not embarrassed, not pretending to have it all together, but with confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I'm so grateful to be on this journey with you. I love you very much. I miss you terribly. I'm going to be sending out a few devotionals this week. If you're not currently getting them, it's because we don't have your email address. All I need you to do is email pastor at lighthousecommunity.com. Let me know your email address and we'll make sure that you're getting those devotionals, which will be flowing out of this for the next several weeks. For as long as we can't be together, I'll keep writing them. And one of the ways that we respond is through giving. 
It's a declaration that, God, I trust you more than I trust my bank account. And although it seems counterintuitive, we need to be generous with God now more than we ever have because our trust truly is in him. Well, and everything else is shaken, he remains. Have a wonderful week. I love you very much.